0: Section forty one of the Medici, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dean Mock. The Medici, Volume One, by G. F. Young. Chapter eighteen. In following Clement the Seventh's history to his death. We have had to neglect for a time the younger members of the family who during the last few years of his life were beginning to play their parts in the drama of the medici story these present to us a group of four two young men and two girls three of them belonging to the family while the fourth entered it by marriage these occupy a considerable portion of the stage during the years 1530 to 1537. the two young men destined to meet with early deaths. The two girls, destined to have long lives and to fill important places in history. They are Ippolito, the son of Giuliano, Duke de Namur, Alessandro, whose dubious parentage has been already noticed, Catherine, the only child of Lorenzo, Duke of Urbino, and Margaret, a daughter of the Emperor Charles V, who at fifteen became the wife of Alessandro, Ippolito, as the eldest of the group, must be considered first, while Catherine, being so important a personage, must be dealt with separately. Ippolito Ippolito, the son of the justly esteemed Giuliano, Duke de Namor, appeals to us both on account of his own attractive personality and the sadness of his history. Born in 1509 and only seven years old when his father died, he was as a child taken charge of by his uncle pope leo x who was very fond of him and watched carefully over his education delighting in the ability which from an early age he displayed but leo died when Ippolito was only twelve years old we have seen how when he was fifteen he was sent from rome by pope clement the seventh to reside in florence made a member of the government and looked upon by all as intended when old enough to succeed to the rule of florence Which had been held by his father. During the next three years, he, with Alessandro and the child Catherine, remained at Florence under Cardinal Passerini's charge, living in the Medici Palace, until, when Ippolito was eighteen, the third banishment of the family took place. Ippolito thereupon became, for a time, a wanderer, but when Pope Clement got back to Rome at the end of 1528, Ippolito also returned there. Ippolito was, by this time, twenty years of age, handsome, courteous, good-natured, highly cultivated, possessed of much ability, and a universal favourite. Varchi says of him that he was, gifted with every accomplishment, affable and pleasant in his manner, and most liberal to all who excelled in war, or letters, or in any of the liberal arts, while another quality which the contemporary writers constantly speak of as, possessed by him, is that of royal-mindedness. Towards the end of the year, 1529, Clement Seventh began to form a plan of supplanting Ippolito as the future ruler of Florence by Alessandro. This was the more unpardonable in that Ippolito was eminently qualified for that position, while Alessandro, being uneducated, vicious, and universally detested, was as conspicuously unfit for it. Clement began privately to carry out this scheme when making the secret treaty with charles v at bologna in december fifteen twenty nine the third and fourth items of which treaty provided for this arrangement these intentions were however kept concealed from all concerned except the emperor until florence should first be subdued and ippolito disposed of elsewhere in the spring of fifteen thirty one after the siege of florence had ended but while the pope's intentions had not yet been allowed to transpire Ippolito, alessandro and catherine were all once more together in rome Ippolito being then twenty-two and catherine twelve and the idea of these two becoming united in marriage began by some to be entertained but their common guardian pope clement had other plans for both of them he intended to use catherine as the bait by which to secure the alliance with the king of france which he desired as a defence against the thraldom of the emperor while he had reasons for his own for intending that Alessandro, and not Ippolito, should be Duke of Florence. So, while during the early part of 1531, affairs in Florence were left to be carried on by the provisional government under Valori, Clement completed his arrangements for making it equally impossible for Ippolito to become Duke of Florence and to marry Catherine. Ippolito's natural bent was towards the profession of a soldier, and he disliked everything connected with the ecclesiastical life. And the ways and modes of thought of the ecclesiastics among whom the greater part of his boyhood and youth had been passed. Clement, however, who managed these young scions of the family like pawns on a chessboard, and had numberless ways of forcing them to conform to his will, now proceeded to carry out his object as regards Ippolito by conferring on him the dignity of a cardinal. Ippolito violently refused to accept the proposed honor, but eventually was forced to submit though he never would wear the cardinal's dress when he could help it, and to get him out of the way was dispatched on a political mission to Hungary. This done, Clement sent Alessandro to Florence, where in July he was declared head of the Republic, and ten months later, while Ippolito was still absent in Hungary, the Republic was abolished, and Alessandro declared Duke of Florence. May, 1532 Alessandro installed as absolute ruler of florence at the age of twenty alessandro showed all the inherent evil of his nature there is only one example in florence of the plain ducal coronet it is to be seen surmounting alessandro's name over the door leading into the ognesanti cloisters in the via borgo ognesanti and sore reason had florence to look with hatred on that sign of her subjugation there followed the five most shameful years of her history the exaltation of this foul and evil youth to a position of power absolutely uncontrolled showed mankind an example of what human nature is capable of under such conditions. His syncophantic admirer Cicciaregli, in his Adione e Centenzi, credits him with wit and wisdom, a fine sense of justice, and judgments which would have done honour to a Solomon. But if this was the case, It was combined with other qualities which obliterated all such considerations. An historian of his own time calls him a creature who would have disgraced even the deadliest epochs of Roman villainy, while another describes him as one whose excesses were as controllable by human reason as those of a beast of the forest. None dared offend him or refuse him anything, lest he should murder those dearest to them. Trollope says, The portraits of this wretched youth, which hang on the walls of the Florentine gallery, show the lowness of the type to which his organization belonged. The small, contracted features, the low forehead, and mean expression are altogether unlike any of the Medici race, in whom, whatever else they might be, there was always manifestation of intellectual power. His life was one continued orgy. The ministers to his lawless will were ruffians chosen from among the vilest of mankind and these men were made not only the ministers to but the companions of his pleasures and the companions also of the young the wealthy and the beautiful among the aristocracy of florence what wonder that disgust and indignation at being subjected to such a rule was the prevailing temper of florence or that after three years an appeal should have been made to the emperor to remove so infamous a vassal the wonder rather is that any city should have endured such a monster so long, and should not have deprived him of life within the first year instead of the sixth. The experience was a more bitter one to Florence than it would have been to other cities. Others had had tyrannies to endure. Florence had never known the rule of a tyrant. The experience killed her very soul for a time. MARGARET In the spring of 1533, when Alessandro had been for about a year Duke of Florence, the fourth member of the group, Margaret, then a girl of twelve, fair and pretty, and engaged to Alessandro in accordance with Clement's compact with the Emperor, passed through Florence on her way to Naples. Born in Flanders in 1521, she had been brought up by her two aunts, Margaret of Austria and Maria of Hungary, and was now sent by her father, the Emperor's orders, to reside at Naples until the time should come for her marriage to Alessandro. Catherine, two years older who was then in florence preparatory to her departure from Marseille for her own marriage rode out to meet her at the medici villa of cafogiolo in the valley of the mugello on the road from faenza and thence on the sixteenth april fifteen thirty three these two girls so different in appearance and destined to have such very different histories together rode to florence margaret remained for a few days to be shown by catherine the principal sights of the city and then continued her journey for the next three years margaret remained at naples and as alessandro's enormities yearly grew more notorious there began to be doubts especially after the death of pope clement whether her marriage would take place so iniquitous did such a marriage seem even in that age that the fioriociti did not believe in the projected marriage because they did not believe that the princess could be given to a man so infamous However. Charles V evidently thought otherwise, and even Pope Clement's death did not cause him to alter his intention to carry out the marriage which had been settled upon between them. Ippolito Although the way he had been treated caused a great change in Ippolito, a permanent sadness coming over a disposition which had before been full of brightness, we do not hear of his showing any resentment. He developed a great liking for the Hungarians, and for Hungary, and while in that country was fond of wearing the hungarian dress though on one occasion while there he was made prisoner under a mistake a matter over which pope clement suffered much humiliation on his return from hungary hippolito took up his abode at bologna and shortly afterwards complied with the pope's request that he should accompany him to marseilles to be present at catherine's marriage at bologna Ippolito lived in great style and an incident connected with his life there gives an example of his character clement the seventh thinking the number of retainers maintained by ippolito excessive remonstrated with him whereupon ippolito replied no i do not maintain them because i have need of their services but because they have need of mine ippolito had all the family taste for learning he wrote various poems and translated the second book of the aeneid into Italian blank verse, a work of which has been highly praised and often reprinted. In 1534, Pope Clement being ill, Ippolito returned to Rome and was with the Pope when he died in September, on which occasion we hear of his protecting the latter's body from insult, while it was he who thereupon commenced the construction of the tombs in St. Maria Sopra Minerva, to the two Medici popes, Leo X and Clement VII. Perhaps we shall not be wrong in considering that Ippolito showed the nobility of his character in nothing more strongly than in never exhibiting any malice towards Pope Clement for the way in which the latter had cheated him and ruined his life. Yet he evidently felt it deeply, for Varchi tells us, When he understood that Pope Clement had decided that Alessandro was to be made the heir to the riches and greatness of the house of Medici, and not himself, a great change took place in him. He was seized with immense anger and grief, as it seemed to him that being older, a nearer relation to the Pope, and better endowed by nature, so rich an inheritance and so brilliant a marriage, should rather be his, either not knowing or refusing to believe the secret rumours that Alessandro was the son of Clement. It is peculiar to notice how it is assumed as a matter of course that nearness of relationship to the Pope, and not right of primogeniture. As a grandson of Lorenzo the Magnificent, is that which should constitute Ippolito's stronger claim. Contemporary historical events: fifteen thirty-four through fifteen thirty-five. On Clement the Seventh's death, Alessandro Farnese was on the eleventh October, fifteen thirty-four, elected Pope in a conclave which only lasted one hour. He took the name of Paul III, and within three days of his election, he ordered a committee to assemble to draw up a scheme for the reformation of the church, and to consider the time, place, and mode for the assembly of a general council. In politics, also the new pope adopted a totally different course from that of his predecessor, endeavouring to assuage the animosity between Charles and Francis, and maintaining a position of neutrality between them. The above course of action on the part of the pope changed the entire political situation, while it enabled the emperor to turn his attention to the affairs of germany and to resisting the formidable encroachments of the turks in may 1535 charles v sailed with a great fleet from barcelona to attack the barbary pirates who under their commander sheridan barbarossa had established themselves in algiers and tunis and ravaged the coasts of spain and italy the pirates were defeated and charles took their capital tunis and in August returned in triumph to Sicily. Ippolito In June 1535, Pope Clement, being dead, and Alessandro having in the three years he had been in power so outraged the Florentines that he had driven a large number of them into voluntary exile, these Fioraciti determined to send an embassy to the Emperor Charles V, to appeal to him against the atrocities of his vassal, and to petition for his removal. The had always been a recognized party in Florentine politics, as whichever party was in power caused a number of the opposite party to quit Florence, either voluntarily for their own safety or by being exiled. But under Alessandro's evil tyranny they had come to muster unusually strong. They selected Ippolito as their ambassador to lay their petition before the emperor, the latter being the at Tunis on his expedition against the Barbary pirates. Ippolito, who was then at Rome started upon this journey and got as far as Etri, near Gaetia, between Rome and Naples. But while waiting there for a vessel in which to embark for Tunis, he was poisoned. And the proof was overwhelming that it was done by Alessandro. The agent employed was one Giovanni Andrea of Borgo San Sepolcro. And besides the universal opinion and the testimony of other historians, Varchi gives proof which is practically conclusive, that he was employed to commit the crime by Alessandro. Thus died, at the age of twenty-six, the accomplished and deservedly popular Ippolito, put out of life, like so many others, by the detestable youth whom Clement the Seventh had placed in power in Florence. The assassin Giovanni Andrea did not long survive. After effecting his escape from Ippolito's servants, who in their rage would have torn him in pieces, He fled to Florence and lived for some months in Alessandro's palace, protected by the latter. Thence, after a time, he went to his own town of Borgo San Sepolcro. But there the people, in an outburst of popular indignation at his crime in killing one so universally admired as Ippolito, seized him and stoned him to death. As we look at Titian's portrait of this handsome and accomplished grandson of Lorenzo the Magnificent, we see his whole character and history laid bare before us though a cardinal he will not be painted in that hated dress but wears his favorite hungarian costume and the sword which he would have liked to bear as a soldier his chivalrous spirit high temper quick intelligence and that quality of royal mindedness which those around saw in him are well brought out by the painter the picture was painted after that great change in him of which Varchi speaks and his face may well have that look of permanent sadness, since, too in the power of his crafty relative, the Pope, to resist after the thing was done, he had by various subterfuges had his whole life spoilt. Titian was at this time at the height of his fame, the greatest portrait painter in Europe, and much in request at all the most splendid courts. He had passed from the patronage of the Duke of Mantua, to that of the Emperor Charles V, whose admiration for him was exemplified in his speech on picking up Titian's brush from the ground, declaring that a Titian might well be served by Caesar. In order to give a high relief to the head Titian was fond of using, as in this instance a black background in his portraits, Ruskin, speaking of them, says, both for what they present and the manner of their presentation titian's portraits are among the artistic marvels of the world end of section 41